Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Seeing All. We break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We got a whole lot to talk about this week. Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour movie, now in theaters. I'm going to give my review, reaction to that, whatever you call it, movie concert. We're also going to talk about the box office this past week, Exorcist Believer. It is a major flop, and I will explain all the reasons why. And then I also got to give my my reaction and review of Loki episode one and two. And we're going to talk about the color coming movie this week, Killers of the Flower Moon. All this on this week's episode of Seen It All. The first thing we got to talk about today is that good old Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour movie review. And I just got to say, I was going in this with tempered expectations. I had a lot of drama surrounding this film. And I was like, okay, three hours of listening to Taylor Swift sing. A lot of these songs, I probably have no idea. I don't know what these songs are. And it's just oh, surrounded by Swifties. I don't know. I wasn't looking forward to it. But I had such a fun time. It was such a great atmosphere. Everybody was singing along. And I just came out with such... I really needed a joyous experience. But I just came out with coming out with so much joy. And just it was just a really, really great time at the movies. A time I will never forget seeing in the movies. But I just want to do some background before I actually get into the film itself. About my, my experience with the Taylor Swift experience. So... As you know, they announced the tickets that are going on sale, and it sold out immediately. A lot of the screenings, like I know on our show, like the first night sold out probably within a, within a couple days. And there were non-refundable tickets, so you could not get them back. And I bought two tickets. At Starting at 6 o'clock was when all the show time started. Then two days ago, on Wednesday night at like 11 o'clock, so Thursday on Eastern Standard Time, she announced that they were going to do showings on Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Like, oh, that's great, except... I cannot change my tickets. They're not refundable. Then she announced that there was more times opening up on Friday midday. So like two o'clock was now with the opening start time. But you couldn't change your tickets because they're not refundable. I think that was just such a shady thing to do. Even though I love Taylor Swift, but I feel like you could have framed it better where you could be able to switch out your tickets. She's making a lot more money. But I wish you would have just started off that way or just said like this is the official start time. Because I feel like fans really want to be there for the first official start time. And I like to see it as soon as possible. I'm just like that with all my movies. I'm like, let's, let's just see it as soon as possible. And I feel like that was a little tricky. And then also I had an issue of trying trying to find people to come. People just kept dropping like fries, flies who I found with me to come because I had one extra ticket. I was not seeing Taylor Swift's era's tour without another person. And they were non-refundable. So it was it was tricky to try to get someone else to come with me on a certain time that I could not change and it was set in stone because they were not refundable. Like, it's $45. I am going and I am going to find someone to come with me or I'm going to sell them. But that would have been a whole other thing for itself. So there's a lot of, it took a lot to get there with another person opening night. But as for the movie concert stuff, we got there 30 minutes early. We got good seats. The AMC crew out came out probably about five minutes before the show, before the trailer started and they were hyping everybody up. They had, everybody was there and they had this one guy who was screaming out. It was awesome. It was just, it was something you don't, you see once every few years. I Barbie was super packed. Spyro No Way Home was super packed. Avengers Indiana was packed. But you've never seen a movie theater like this before. Like this is changing the whole movie theater industry. But as for the film itself, Switchies went insane for the good songs. Um, Jordan, the woman you saw my first thoughts video, and I rated all the songs on a scale of 1 to 10 about how the audience reacted to it. Uh, I think we concluded that Bad Blood had the most amount of reaction to it, followed by Shake It Off, and then We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Those are like the three big ones. And then some of the other slow songs did not get a very good reaction. We had some on the one, we had some go up to 12, like Bad Blood, but it was just, it was fun gauging the audience reactions. There was a lot of things that people were just taking videos, they were pulling out their flash it was just something you'll never experience i'll never experience again in a movie theater and it's just like wow i can't believe can't believe this is happening right in front of you i knew i had to be there as a movie fan as a movie theater fan i knew i had to be there to experience it but i thought i would go through each of the eras there's like 10 total but i'm only gonna talk about nine because one of them i don't think one of them's on album so nine albums basically and give you my thoughts as well as rank them because the songs are there 
you're just seeing, but along the, with the production value is on a whole nother level for this concert. Like the production is insane. It felt like I was watching like a Broadway show like Hamilton or something. And they filmed it very similar to Hamilton style. And I feel like that was shot really well, edited really well along with this. So I thought I'd start from the bottom, work my way up to the top my favorites. So bottom would probably be Speak Now. They only did one song for that. It, fun purple and blue lights. I can't say I remember too much about it. So Speak Now is at the bottom. They only had one song and I was okay with that. I kind of like the newer stuff better than the older stuff. So it works out for me. Then next up, Evermore. And this was, I think this was the COVID one she wrote. See, I'm not a huge Swifty. I wouldn't categorize myself as a Swifty. So Swifties in the comments, you can correct me and give me your opinions on it. But Evermore, uh, I did not like really any of the songs. The only thing I did like was these, uh, the people behind her were dressed in robes and were holding orange, like pumpkin glow balls that followed along on the floor. It was just awesome. And it looked really, really cool. And that was good, but I didn't really like any songs then. Folklore probably. And I think that was where we saw the Moss Piano. That was cool, but again, slower songs, and that's not what I'm going to go see in a movie concert. Like, that's more than I'm going to listen to. Sad, but I don't really listen to that type of music, so that music just isn't for me. Then I have to say Lover, which I kind of even forgot about because at the very beginning, I think Cruel Summer is a part of Lover because that's what she opened the show with. And Lover, they did the Lover song, and that was pretty good. It was a fun, bright energy. That's where this outfit's from right here, so you can see. Bright pink fun. Then you got Fearless, and Fearless is mostly because of my friend Jordan who went along with me, and she just had such a great time listening to that song. And we were all singing out. It was just, it was great. Then Midnight's. Midnight's is her brand new album. It's what she closed the show with. And I feel like she could have closed the show with 1989. I think it would have been better because everybody was more into it and people more than the song. Midnight's, I probably know about half the songs. I was familiar with all of them, but I only probably knew about half of them, like Karma and Antihero. And I like the colors of that. I love me some blues and the water and stuff like that. But great way to end the show, though, besides ending on 1989 then you have red which i think red gets honestly a lot of the time midnight's definitely gets the most of my time because it's a new album but you have red and i really liked her outfit changes in that and the stage was just the red's a very striking color and she used it very well the first three songs were great and then they had the slow one that went on for a long time we're like oh this is my bathroom break this is from a three-hour movie this is my bathroom break right here and we, <laughs> we all went to the bathroom so heads up if you, at the end of red when she starts to sing that the all too well song i think i know what it is i went to the bathroom i came back i saw like four minutes left of the song it's a very long song <laughs> Notice, notice that song. Just I'm like Taylor Swift more for the fun songs, like 1989 songs. And then I have to say, second favorite was Reputation because I knew all those songs and everybody else. She only did three songs from it. They are all bangers. Everybody was, or I think maybe four. She did four songs from that. They were all bangers. We're all falling along. We're all singing. It was great. But the number one would have to be 1989. My favorite album. I grew up on that. That's my babysitter was loved the 20. She babysat me 2014. Or 2015, somewhere around there when 1989 was out. So we just listened to that on repeat. So I knew those. I knew those by heart. And they were the best part of the show. And I feel like most of the people around me, that was probably her biggest album. And it was just great. It was just such a fun time. And I probably, again, that's my ranking. Bottom to top, probably bottom was Speak Now, Evermore, Folklore, Lover, Fearless, Midnight's Red, Reputation, and 1989. It was just, it was great. Audience reactions, they were great. They really just filmed, they, they, they filled the room with joy. And they filmed this eras tour so well and it was just like edited so perfectly it's just really astounding what they put together here for just an amazing time at the movies as for outside of the movie itself merch wise at least at amc they had a free movie poster which i got right there and they had friendship bracelets which did not fit my giant wrists which sad i put one on i was like nope this will cut off my circulation so i give them to someone else we also had little girls that were coming around like, do you have friendship bracelets? And the movie, we were like, oh, that's so sweet. But no, we didn't do anything like that. And the guy next to me was like, no. And he did not enjoy himself. He did not like to be there. He sang along to nothing. And he was just sitting there upright the entire time for three hours. Like, dude, I feel bad. Like, why did your girlfriend make you come do this? Maybe he did. Maybe he was just enjoying cinema. Maybe he was just enjoying cinema. But there was also AMC. At least in AMC, they sold two different popcorn buckets. Sold a tin and a bucket, which I cannot afford. 
what I can afford. But I cannot afford any more popcorn buckets unless they're really special because they will not fit on my collection. I've run out of space. I've had to stop. It's bad. But they had two popcorn buckets. They had two cups, one large and one regular. And then they also had like a, a tote bag with a wand. I wanted the wand, but I wasn't buying a tote bag. I don't need a tote bag. But I wanted the wand. It looked like a Mardi Gras thing, but it was fun. So yeah, they were killing it with the merch. Some of the stuff already sold out. I think the 10 already sold out. And it's just going crazy. And AMC's going to make so much money. And so other people's reactions, as you said, my audience absolutely ate it up. Those people in there, we're going to tell everybody. I'll probably tell everybody, like, that'll be, that's just such a fun dine out. And it's only $20 versus going to a concert. And if you're like, you're some, you, somewhat of that concert vibe, sorry, but at least you get like 70% of that concert vibe because you're with other people singing and you're in the theater. It's just such a fun night. And it's not super expensive. And it has like 100% rotten tomatoes. I don't think anybody's willingly to put a, red, a rotten tomato on there and have the Swifties all take them down. That's not happening. And it also has 100% audience score. So everybody's loving this going to eat up. It's going to make so much money. As for box office predictions, they are all over the place. Pre-sales have passed $100 million. So it's getting over that $100 million mark. It's going to be the biggest October opening of all time, which is, I think the last biggest one was Joker at $96 million. This will beat that. Get over $100. I'd probably guesstimate, probably maybe $165 was probably my guess. I thought it could get up to $200. I think the, the biggest opening this year is Barbie, and I think that was either $155, $160, and I think it could beat that. I think it could be the biggest opening of the year. I don't know how its legs are going to be, but also got those non-refundable tickets, so that helps that people cannot cancel on their screening. So it was just awesome time in the movies i really had a great time i i i just can't say i just i just had so much fun and i really needed it so thank you taylor swift i may not become a swifty but you got a new fan in me as for the box offices this past week we gotta first talk about the film that opened last week i was just a believer so i'm pretty sure that i'm the only person that actually enjoyed this movie all of the other reactions i've seen online are not good many people are starting to dogpile on this film and even the own comments I saw under my reviews and reactions, it seems that people do not like this movie one bit and are actively attacking the director, David Gordon Green. I'm like, okay, maybe don't attack me in person, but I get you. I get what you're coming from. But what's worse, what's worse than even some mild harassment about the quality of the film and that is the what's even worse than the mild harassment is the economics behind it. So before we get to Exorcist Believer's performance at the box office, we need to take a step back and understand just how Universal and Blumhouse acquired these rights back in 2021. They acquired the rights for four hundred million dollars yes you heard me right 400 million dollars for the exorcist franchise one would liken this deal to the netflix buying out ryan johnson and daniel craig for 450 million dollars that same year for glass onion for the knives out franchise so but this 400 million dollars for exorcist believer did not cover any of the production but any of the production budgets for the three exorcist films that they would make the deal was only for three exorcist films for their trilogy unlike in the knives out scenario where the, some of that money went to the production of both the films because they bought out two films the rest of the trilogy the deal for The Exorcist also gave them the streaming rights to these films to put onto Peacock. The day and date of Halloween was absolutely huge for Peacock subscribers. And Exorcist Believer is having a 45-day theatrical window before Universal hopes it's going to blow up on Peacock, which I don't see that happening after these everybody else's reactions. I don't think Exorcist can blow up like Michael Myers is, especially when you're releasing on Peacock after Halloween's over. I feel like if you time this, if you wanted to time this right, you probably do 17-day window, get it on there October 24th, that Tuesday. Boom, there you go. Halloween money. <laughs> but um, they the money also bought out the back-end rates for the talent involved. Usually you get bonuses for the, when a movie hits a certain level of profitability or grossage. But with Knives Out and Exorcist, the cast and crew basically get all these bonus prop, bonuses up front. This was very common in 2021 when all the big big studios thought streaming was a future. That has turned out not to be the case after all. And now they're going to have to go with a war with actors over profit participation in the streaming wars. It's going to be so much fun to watch. And who knows how long it's going to be on strike for. <sighs> Just uh, lovely. I wouldn't ask for 2% off top line writing actors, but hopefully they can get their deal and we can all back. everybody can go back to work. 
All of this money went to Morgan Creek Productions, the money for the Exorcist franchise, who was mostly who mostly produced stuff back in the 20th century. They are just swimming in cash right now. They got loaded by they got loaded by this deal. So that's how Universal acquired the rights to the Exorcist in hopes of revitalizing revitalizing the franchise like they did with Halloween back in 2018. Except the Exorcist isn't like Halloween. As Halloween, you have Michael Myers, you have Jamie Lee Curtis, you got Laura Strode, you got Halloween masks, you got everything. You have two big stars that will keep bringing people back to the movies. Here you just got exorcisms, which have been ripped off to death at this point. There are a million horror franchises with exorcism at this point. Like they have they have the conjuring, they have all the conjuring movies, which I love, and they have other movies like have that have exorcists in the title. And even the nun just recently came out. Regards around an exorcism. They're trying to get that spirit out of that annoying groundskeeper. Just exorcisms are very common. I don't think you pay four hundred million dollars just for the the rights to the name of the exorcist and be able to reference the original. They thought bringing back Ellen Bernstein as the mom from the original exorcist to play. She, they thought she was going to play that Jamie Lee Curtis role in the original Halloween. She was not that role and she was not that role ever. They hired the same guy who did the Halloween trilogy, David Jordan green, as I said, to helm this film in hopes of it getting to the Halloween heights, but the exorcist franchise is just not Halloween. So the critic reviews came out and it's 23% raw tomatoes. And the weekend projections had the film at 30 million opening, which I think is generous which would be the record opening for the franchise. The film came in under that with 27 million. So that's, I think 26 and a half million was the actual final number, which is not good at all. And I think that's, if you adjust the other ones for inflation, it's not even close. The first exorcist made like $3 billion worldwide. If you adjust for inflation, which is why we don't adjust for inflation because nothing would ever beat that. Nothing would ever beat gone with the wind, which I think made like $4 billion adjusted for inflation. It's absolutely insane. But I think even if you take the pure grosses of the sequels, they're like in the low, tw- they're in the low 20. So it's not even that far away. So I just, just, I don't know why they ever thought it would be Halloween. Compare that to Halloween franchise, 2018, the Halloween 2018 version. It made $76 million. Um, The next two opening around $40, 40 million. I think the Halloween Kills opened 49 and Halloween Ends opened around 40 But those, the second two also debuted Dan Day on Peacock, which hurt their numbers in the box office, but Universal got a huge boon from Peacock subscribers, subscribers regarding Halloween. And now they're also trying to do the same thing with Five Nights at Freddy, which I think is an awful idea. Have it theatrical only. That could make so much money. But Exorcist Believer is nowhere near the profitability and performance of the Halloween movies. But thankfully, they may have gone. They, <laughs> but thankfully, they may have gone over overboard to acquire the rights to the Exorcist franchise. But they didn't go overboard when it actually came to making the film, as it only cost thirty million budget. Horror movies are so cheap. That's why people make so many of them. And this one, they just got me to pay the cast, makeup department. That's about it. It's all darkly lit scenes, jump scares. It's not that much to pay for. Overseas, the film made seventeen point nine million this opening weekend for a worldwide opening total of forty five million. So the film will turn a profit relative to its budget, but we will have to wait and see how this overall trilogy does before making a final call on the $400 million licensing spend. But we're just taking this one into account. This is one of the biggest horror flops of all time. $400 million, so $430 million production budget for three films. I don't know about that. Probably $30 million for the sequel. I'd say 40 because it's got to go up because the cast is going to want more. So let's say let's say $500 million total for the whole, the whole cost of the film. And that's a, um, that's a not good play. That's not a good play at all. And I don't know what they think, what they're thinking here. Thank goodness Universal has Five Nights at Freddy to counteract this. And they also have Oppenheimer for that matter. So they think they have that for a counteract. As for Paw Patrol 2 in its second weekend, they had a really bad, some really bad weekday numbers. But you would expect that for a film whose primary de- demographic was little kids that'll be in school or daycare on the weekdays. You don't see a lot of little kids in a the movie theater on the weekdays. So Saw X and the creator were able to make some more dough during the week. But Paw Patrol 2 rebounded in its second weekend with the film falling only 48% for a second weekend total of 11.75 million. Only a little under the opening weekend of the first Paw Patrol film back in 2021, which did debut on day and date. 
but this film is just making loads of cash. I think it's now past the total of the of the first film already in two weeks. Um, the film is now past eighty seven million worldwide and is very soon going to cross that hundred billion hundred million dollar mark. But I want to see the toy sale numbers because those those toy sale numbers are going to be in the billions. That's where the real money is at, and they know that. As for Sawx and the Creator, Sawx and the Creator fared better during the weekdays, with them sharing the number one and number two spots for most of the weekdays. But both fell much harder overall in their second weekend. Sawx took third place. At first place was Exodus Believer. Second place, Paw Patrol Two. Third place, Sawx took third place and made eight million, a fifty-five percent drop, which I say is pretty good considering this is a torture porn movie. Um, these things typically do not have wide appeal, and the film also has the added competition of a new horror film only one week after opening. Um, the Exorcist Believer was originally supposed to open this week, but it moved once Taylor Swift showed up. Like, we got to get out of the way. So they moved back, and that caused dumb money to move. That's a whole different shift in there. Really annoying. The film only cost $13 million to make. Saw X did, and now is at $32 million domestic. So excellent success. They're going to make another one. They're going to make a Saw 11, Folly following the same timeline. I'm like, just, just get rid of the rest of them. Let's just start over. Let's just make Saw X a new timeline. The creator fared worse, though, especially when you compare it to its budget. Saw X had a $13 million budget. Creator had an $80 million budget. The, and the film fell harder with a 56% drop in the second week and making greater made 6 million this weekend for a domestic total of 25 million and a worldwide total of 60 million. This is going to be a huge money loser for Disney and it sucks because I want to see bigger budget action films like this in the marketplace that are original. Still, I actually enjoyed all the films we just talked about, but if you had to pick one, I would definitely recommend you go out and see the creator. And so it kind of seems crazy that the two biggest films, the two profitable, profitable films right now are Saw X and Paw Patrol 2. The creator and actually is a little bit floundering at the moment. So that's the box office of this. All right. Now I want to do my review and breakdown of the Loki's first two episodes. Spoilers will follow for anybody who's not checking out. But before I get into spoilers, I just want to say highly recommend getting a Loki. One of the best TV shows out there. I absolutely love Loki. But now into spoilers. So I want to talk about, start off with episode one, do my breakdown, then we'll get to episode two. So for episode one, what an amazing but stressful episode. And I mean stressful. My heart was pumping so fast that they just, they just put us right back in there from the end of season one. I actually love season one of Loki and it was super close right behind WandaVision as my second favorite MCU show. I don't know if anything can ever top WandaVision. One of the greatest, I think it's one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Sitting there week to week in such anticipation, all the theories, all the acting, all the Emmys it got. It's just, I absolutely love WandaVision. Probably one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I think my holy trinity of TV shows is probably Parks and Rec, Mandalorian, and WandaVision. I mean, I may be a little biased because I'm a huge Marvel and Star Wars fan as you can quite see, but girl, this don't bother, don't judge me. Don't judge me. But Loki season one, indeed. Um, Loki season one, I would call the biggest cliffhanger in television memory that left my jaw on the floor. It completely stunned me and I was so stressed out and I couldn't stop thinking about the end of that show for days. But then we had to wait two years for season two to get here and boy, it arrived in glorious fashion. And I love when you have a cliffhanger and the story picks immediately right back up. They don't jump forward in time. That'd be stupid if they jump forward in time. And mostly when they do that, it doesn't work out because they resolve part of the issue off screen. I'm like, I want to see this play out in front of me. Like, so that's how I feel Fast X is going to go whenever you see the cliffhanger with the bridge and the bombs, like they can't advertise the film without swing it. And they probably will jump ahead in time, which is really annoying. And I hate when they do that, but back to episode one of Loki season two, we get, we see that at the end of the season last season, wasn't just a different timeline. It was just Loki in the past. And I thought the use of him going into the past and learning new things of the TVA was outstanding and really had me guessing along with the character. But the moment of times, but the moment of time slipping, which is what they call it, that got me. The moment that got me was when he jumped forward in time at the end of the episode, and we see that all hell is breaking loose, and the timeline is not folding back together right. And Sylvie is apparently there, and someone else prunes him, and we don't see who it is. Maybe Mobius, because he knows he has to get back to the present, stay alive. 
But that jump to the future had me awestruck and was a highlight of the episode. And the entire time-slipping effect was really cool. You really feel the pain in him. But there were some scenes in the trailers of him time-slipping with, like, in front of a a, a blow-up guy that moves back and forth that wasn't in the episode. So I wonder if he's going to time-slip again or what's going to go on. Or maybe it's just a cutscene. But catching up with Mobius and B-15, we see that they are injunction to a, they are, they are required to go to a court hearing. And I really thought we were done with this once they destroyed everything, like we were done with the TV. But we aren't at that point yet, so we don't got to go to more court hearings. But B-15 convinces the counselor against the judge against the judgment of a Scottish general that they all deserve, that all the TVA agents deserve to be free and they are killing innocents. But you know that general and her crew, crew, crew I'm starting to talk like a Scottish woman, which are going after Sylvie are going to be a lot to deal with. And I can't wait for Sylvie and Loki to prune them all, which we will talk about in episode two, whether they do that or not, they do prune some people. The whole court hearing was great and with Loki jumping in and out of time and showing them the past with Kang or the he who remains, whoever you call him, but when he cut that open, who didn't show up in this episode, but we heard his voice with Ravona, so she knew all along, and I'm curious to see what she's playing at, because the two are in love in the comics, and they seem like they're in love here too. But Mobius decides that they need to handle the time skipping before they address the other issues and head down to the basement, and that's where we meet OB, who is played by Oscar winner Kehe Kwan, who is the, has this amazing conversation with Loki in the past and Mobius in the present. Kehe Kwan just plays the character so well, and they have a plan to fix it, and thankfully it works. Not before OB is willing to shut the door on Mobius and leave them both stranded. I love that the character made a decision like that, but they make it all back. And at the end of the episode is when they begin their journey to find Sylvie. But we do have a mid credit scene showing, showing Sylvie showing up in, in, I think, in Oklahoma in the 1980s. I think 1982. It's one of the branch timelines. And the McDonald's she shows up has a very unique look on the inside. But you do see Sophia DiMartino's face, the joy that she has walking in there. Feeling like basically she saved the universe, she gave everybody free will, and she she wants to try everything. And we are just going to see a ton of development that next week. And I think that's when she's going to give herself a mullet. And I did find out she does give herself a mullet. But this the expression on her face and the McDonald's stuff and just like being free, having free will. It's just it's just a moment of like, oh, you did it, Sylvie. You may have murdered him, but you did it for the right reason. But excellent start to season two of uh, season two of Loki that looks to be living up and in some ways exceeding the original. I like that this one has been a faster pace than the original. We are moving quickly. We don't got to introduce too many new concepts. We're in there. We're good. I also say this felt like an episode that can re- be released as a season premiere. Didn't need any more episodes to be released at once. With Ahsoka, you really needed to have more than one episode at the premiere. And I did not feel that way regarding Loki season two. As for episode two, so Loki season two. I felt Loki episode two, I felt was right on par with the first episode, if not a little bit below it. But I think that might have to do with my overall excitement, which I was much more excited with that first episode to be back in the TVA with the music. I was jamming out to the music. I just, Natalie Holt's score is just so amazing. It fixed everything so perfectly. And I love to turn it on and feel very dramatic and put my hair like Loki. And it's just awesome. But some of the episode had me confused and I was questioning some things, but I really love all the character choices and the climactic nature of the episode, albeit a weird final action set piece that I thought could have been framed better. So I, ha- I want to start off at the beginning of the episode, and that is following Loki, Loki, Mobius, and B-15 as they track down X-5 from the last episode who got left to go find Sylvie. I was confused here by whether or not a lot of time had passed between last episode and this because it looked like X-5 had time to grow out his hair, star in a few movies, and it just had me question if that was X-5 or not, or just, I had to make, I had to Google to make sure because they just kept on calling him Brad. So I was a little bit trying to catch up what was exactly was happening, but I did love Loki being a bit evil to him this entire episode from using his shadows to capture him along with his magic and then eventually torturing him to get the information out about Sylvie. Brad got under Mobius and Loki's skin by pointing out their flaws once they capture him. But eventually I love that Loki uses the advantage that he isn't a hero, but he isn't straight up a villain. He's an anti-hero. Anti-heroes, they're allowed to torture people for info. And I love they finally got it out of him, that squamish little bug. And Mobius helped him get the info too after calming down, of course, with some key lime pie. 
Mobius is just eating a bunch of food this episode, from key lime pie to McDonald's, but he didn't even touch the fries, and they were most definitely prop fries. But I'm like, just, just eat a fry, Mobius. Eat a fry. They look so tasty. And he like just picked this key lime pie. I was like, eat some of it. But Loki and Sylvie finally reunite at the 80s, 1980s McDonald's in an awkward fashion. I felt so bad for Loki because Sylvie, she shoved him. She pushed him out. He owes, she owes him apology, not Loki. But it kind of is like your boyfriend comes back, but now he's working. He's, she, he's working for the people she tried to kill. So I get the, the I get the, the aggravation and the awkwardness, but still, oh, my apology. You heard him. You guys need to get back together. But she is contempt in her life and doesn't want back in. But Loki knows she ha- comes into the TVA in the future from his flashing forward. So Sylvie is ready to leave Loki behind. That's very sad. But then X5 finally gives the reason as to why he he got he wants to get out of the branch timeline so badly because the crew that he left to suppose the Scottish woman that left to supposedly go after Sylvie actually intended to stop the branch timelines. So what they do is they start to bomb the branch timelines and probably get more than like half of them by the time they're done. But Loki, Mobius, and Sylvie show up to stop them before they st- kill all the timelines. And this action scene was filmed very weird. And I didn't feel the stress that I needed to do. I thought the action could have been framed better, even though they needed to stop them immediately. But I love after this, after they bomb millions, I love the moment of B-15 when she just states out loud that probably trillions of people, they are murdered by those actions. And even that Sylvie says she's out, she and goes back to McDonald's. But we see the end of the episode, her, her uh, messing around with her tin pad. So we know she's coming back, especially with Loki seeing her in the future. Just very emotional stuff that they did with them. I really felt it on her face. They really murdered millions of people. And Sylvie, I think Sylvie realized like she's just got to burn it to the ground if she realizes everybody needs to get free will. She's, I think she's going to try to burn it all. But the subplot, there's another subplot in this episode. It revolves around OB, who cannot access the timeline to fix it with his new machine without the security clearance of either He Who Remains or Miss Minutes. He Remains is dead or maybe a King variant. So they either need Miss Minutes or King variant. So... He instructs Casey, and now they're like best friends to locate. Look, Casey's able to locate Ravona, who is with Miss Minutes, and that's where we would be off to in the next episode. So, good episode with a lot of consequence, and it just keeps this great show going. As for the viewership, Loki, for the season premiere, got 10 million viewers in the first three days. That's for the first episode, which is the second biggest premiere of the show on Disney Plus this year, only behind Mandalorian season three premiere, which we don't know the numbers for. But good viewership for Loki, but I don't think we'll be getting a season three regardless because of the creators say. We get a definitive ending at the end of the season versus the cliffhanger in the first season. But these characters for sure will show up in Deadpool and King Dynasty. They will live on in the MCU, but we won't know how long that will take. Who knows? But great start to Loki season two. I really, really enjoyed it. And before I get into what's coming next week, I do want to talk real quick about a show that I have been watching, and that is The Fall of the House of Usher, which I'm almost, I have like an episode and a half left, and I'm going to do a full review on next week's episode. But I am very excited. I'm this horror shows. I love Mike Flanagan's horror shows. I do have to announce that I will be in Mike Flanagan's next horror film, which is filming here in my town. And I I got to meet Mike Flanagan. He's awesome. And I'm just like, I'll jazz about him. Tom Hiddleston starring and Mark Hamill. And it's just, I just have to mention on here. And I'm going to go through all my, I'm doing a little extras process, walk behind the scenes. It's just, it's going to be such a great time. I just have to mention on the podcast, but I'm just very excited. I'm definitely giving a House of Usher review on next week's episode, but definitely check it out on Netflix. As for what's coming next week, Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's epic finally arrives after after premiering at Cannes all the way back in May, and it continues to get excellent reviews, so I'm really excited about seeing this. I'm somewhat familiar with the story in real life, and I know the story does not end at all, at all for the natives, as well for the white people, so, but not at all for the natives or the people that deserve it. Leonardo DiCaprio seemingly gives his best performance ever, and Lily Gladstone it, along with Emma Stone are the two favorites to win the Best Actress Oscar. The only thing I'm dreading is that runtime of the film, three hours and 20 minutes. I mean, I just did Taylor Swift, which was three hours. The only film that can go that long are Avatar films, okay? 
at this point, make a mini series or cut some things out. The Irishman was way too long, and hopefully Martin doesn't make the same mistakes here. But I've heard the pacing's pretty good, so fingers crossed. I'm just, I know I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm like, I just don't want to miss something. Just give me an intermission, guys. We're going to make a movie this long. You got to give me an intermission. It's just ridiculous. But I'm really excited. I think this film is going to be really good, and I'm very excited. And I feel like I'm going to might have a, a breakdown because it's going to be very sad. And woo, woo. But what did you think of the Taylor Swift The Eras Tour concert? What did you think of the Exorcist Believer flop? And did you watch Loki season one, two? Did you already watch House of the Fall, Fall, the House of Usher, which I'm almost done with? And I'll make sure to get my review on next week's episode, along with Killers of Flower Moon, Loki episode three, box office of this past week. It's going to be a huge box office talk about Taylor Swift and the change of the industry because she did this without the studio's help. So they are going to be so mad, especially with the actors of Ryan Strike. It's just so much stuff going on. And thank y'all for listening now. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, follow me on my socials.